Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading today is taken from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. When I'm done reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. In the same way, deacons are the worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tunu. I'm done with that. So. Good morning, everyone. Again, um, so uh, for those who have not seen in a long time, I don't know if there's anyone here for the first time. We are so happy to see you. We've been going through a series on leadership and followership. And today, we're doing three on leadership and we're doing three on followership. Today is the last on leadership. And um, as you also know, it coincides with our ordination of deacons. And that's made me happy. And usually when I'm happy, you know, I like to do one of my favorite things. You know what that is? I like to tell you guys stories. <laughs> I, am, I am the chief storyteller of, of City Church, right? That's, that's the title I prefer. I prefer that one to pastor. So I want to tell you a story about Willie, all right? Willie, Willie is a leader so, um, uh, that we probably have heard of. So I want to tell you a story about him. Willie was from a poor background, uh, but from a young age, he was seen to have great, a great intellect and awesome people skills. Even though he was already a budding musician, because he was convicted about how he wanted his society and world to be, by 16, he decided he wanted to be an elected official. Many people thought he was destined for greatness. There. So, but remember, he was poor. So, through scholarships, he got admitted to Georgetown University, where he twice won elections as class president. He also obtained a scholarship to study at Oxford before ending up at Yale uh, Law School, where he met his wife, his future wife, Hila. He went on to contest and win elections for the regional division government in his country, and at 32, was the youngest at the time. He then proceeded years after to win two elections to govern his entire country and usher them into unprecedented economic growth. Who wouldn't want Willie for a leader? He had it all. Extremely competent and charming, but served, he also served the benefit of the people as well. I mean, after all, 
Uh, we spoke about how leaders in the first um, sermon in this series, before we spoke about how leaders are meant to use their abilities. That is, not only should they be competent, but they should be responsible. They should respond with their abilities. And then last week, we spoke about the posture leaders are to assume, um, that is, in relation to those who they lead, which is they should be servants, they should serve and not be lords. So, so far, so good with Willie, right? Wait, because the story has not ended. Willie met a young lady called Moni while leading his nation. She was green, beautiful, and charming. Though she was gaining experience working among his large group of staff, he couldn't help but notice her. So they started a relationship. Actually, she was not his first affair as an elected official, only his first as the leader of the nation. Eventually, it ended. I mean, he had to. It was inappropriate. But people found out. He lied about it first until he was pressured to come out with the truth. So a lot of his haters wanted him out. But his supporters rallied around him, saying, look at the economy and what Willie has done for us all. After all, Competence, not character, is what we need most from our leaders. Well, what do you think? Our competence and service all we require from our leaders? Despite all, despite all Bill Clinton's gifts and his achievements, you didn't get it, Willie, William, Bill, Hillary, Moni, Monica. Oh, man. Despite all his gifts and achievements, this Monica Lewinsky affair scandal is what people remember most about his eight-year presidency. You see, for us to relegate character in light of competence and service as the optional component, the optional component of leadership is to neglect part of our humanity. What do I mean? You see, as human beings, we are not just functional agents. In fact, we are moral agents as well. Therefore, if we're calling our leaders or appointing our leaders, it's important for us not just to function, uh, not just to focus on what they can do, but we need to focus on who they are. As we examine the qualifications of what it takes to serve as a deacon, and we'll see that it's general leadership principles, we will see that convicted moral uprightness is the leadership component that beautifies and validates our gifts and accomplishments. So let's examine this sermon, the moral leader under these three headings. One, the tested moral leader. Two, the dignified moral leader. Three, the rewarded moral leader. The tested moral leader, the dignified moral leader, and the rewarded moral leader. So let's start with the first one, the tested moral leader. Now, I am quickly, this is going to be a little bit of an aside, but I want you to go to verse 10. It says, they, they must first be tested. And if I ask you who are the they, you will say, ah, what are you talking about? We've already said it now, Duh, why are we having that service? It's the Dickens. And I'll say, yes, the deacons, but who are deacons? Can anyone be deacons? Specifically, can women be deacons? 
Now, some of us probably can, don't think so. Um, but here in City Church, we do. And it's because, I would say, and I, if you don't believe so, I'm sure it is because of the Bible. Um, we do believe so because of the Bible as well and this particular text. So even though this is an aside, I want to quickly give six reasons why um, we believe that women can and should be uh, deacons. So all of it really is in verse, uh, let's look at verse th uh, 11. Because verse 11 specifically addresses women deacons. Um, let's start. In some versions, first reason, in some versions, uh, maybe like if you're using the ESV, when it says in the same way, it then says the wives. In the same way, it says the wives instead of women. But, so reason number one, the literal Greek there, yeah, the word there is women. So that's the first thing. It's not wives, it's women. That's number one. Number two, granted it can mean wives depending on context. That is, that word can be translated. The Greek word there can be translated wives depending on the context. There's a problem. Now, this qualification for the deacons follows, if you read verses 1 to 7, the qualification for pastors, elders, or overseers, right? Now, the pastors are the, are the, uh, the overall leaders of the church. The deacons uh, follow and serve them. Now, here's the thing. Why are we asking for the qualifications of the deacons' wives and we're not asking for the qualifications of the pastors' wives? It doesn't, it seems rather odd. If you have the overall leaders, you should, if you're going to ask for any, if there's one of the leaders you're going to ask for qualification for their wives, it will make sense that it is the, 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 uh, the, um, the, the higher leaders, the pastors. But you can be balanced, have both of them. No, but it doesn't do that. So that's, that's a second reason. Um, third one is that if you look at, and maybe I'll put this table, if you look at the qualifications from eight to nine, where it's at, um, um, addressing uh, male uh, deacons, and the qualifications in 11, where it's addressing female deacons, you will see that there's a lot of parallel. So in verse eight to nine, it says in the same way, the deacons, and then in verse nine, it says in the same way. Now if you notice, both of them start with worthy of respect, then the next one talks about sincerity, not malicious talk. It has to do with their, the tongue. The other one has to do with um, indulgence and how they treat their liberties. And then the last one holds the other two together. And so you can see a close parallel. In fact, what you have is in verse 8 to 9, male deacons are addressed. Verse 11, women deacons, female deacons are addressed. Verse 12 goes back to male. And then 13 is for both of them. Number four. You know, when we say professor or doctor, like let's say I say, oh, um, I, I know uh, Dr. Um, Osundolire, for instance. If I said that, do you know whether doctor is, that person I'm talking about is a, is a man or a woman? You, would you know? If I say professor um, Ezekwesili, would you know whether that is a man or a woman? No. If I said Mr. Osundolire, would you know whether that's a man or a woman? If I said Mrs. Ezekwesili, would you know whether that's a man or a woman? Why? Because those titles specifically have, uh, they can be distinguished by the gender. That is, the title themselves has gender qualifications. You understand? Whereas the first one, professor and doctor, are neutral. The word for deacon, the Greek word for deacon is like the first one, right? It's neutral. You can't tell, well, it doesn't have any masculine form or feminine form. It's neutral, okay? Then number five, 
really building on top of um, number, uh, number four. Number five, in Romans 16, we referred to it um, uh, two weeks ago, but in Romans 16, we are told of Phoebe. Phoebe, and it says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a deacon of the church in St. Cray. Right? Now, if I said to you, um, the governor of Anambra State, that's a title, right? It's a formal title, the governor of Anambra State. Or if I said to you, um, that person is a GM at NMPC. GM at NMPC is a, is a formal title, right? In the same way, in the early church, once you saw this particular um, um, uh, syntax put together, a dash of the church in something, that was a technical title. So, for instance, we talk about in Ephesians, we talk about Jesus being the head of the church. It's an official title. In Ephesians 5, we, uh, we talk about, um, uh, sorry, not Ephesians 5. Uh, also here, we talk about the elders. Paul talks about uh, Acts 20, in Acts chapter 20, it says, call the elders of the church in Ephesus. And so when you see here, a deacon of the church, it's an official title. And this official title was given to who? Phoebe. And please, if you ever have a male child, don't call him Phoebe. All right? Phoebe is a female, is a female name. And it says about Phoebe, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. That means Phoebe was supporting Paul's ministry and so many other people. Just like, you know, you had some women that were supporting Jesus' ministry. Have you heard of them? If you look in Luke, um, Luke, verse, uh, Luke verse 8, verse 1 to 3. I thought I put this reference here. Let me just open to it. Luke 8, 1 to 3. Luke 8. And it says, After that, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of uh, Chosa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And then the final reason I'll give, just like Phoebe, as we see in the Bible, in the early church is replete with um, uh, female deacons. I'll give one example. There's a woman called Olympias. Olympias was a generous deacon in the church of Constantinople. At this point, the church of Constantinople is like the largest, most important church in the world. And she supported ministries of people, of great um, men of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Chrysostom or Gregory of uh, Nazianzus. Well, she supported their ministry, just like Phoebe did. She supported a lot of the ransom exiled, exiles at the time, people that were suffering away. She supported... Um, and she sustained a community of 250 virgins. Which was the deacon of the church. This is why City Church is ordaining and will continue to ordain female deacons. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. However, they, the female deacons, as well as their male counterparts, must first be tested. That's what verse 10 says. They must be tested. In fact, it says they must be tested... Um, and if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. They must be tested before they are appointed. 
You know, far too many people step into leadership roles that they are not prepared for. Some of them are given leadership roles that they are not prepared for because not only you say, oh, well, this person didn't like the capacity or the, or the experience. It's true sometimes, but sometimes people are not prepared because they don't have the requisite moral character for that leadership role. You know how many of us do, how many times, how we do leadership um, uh, evaluation? It's like Samuel. Samuel, great man. I was reading, to, I was reading um, about Samuel to Tofumi yesterday, last night. You know the Samuel, Samuel, Hannah, uh, God calling Samuel, Eli, your, your own don't finish, that kind of thing. <laughs> so a great man, wonderful prophet, but Samuel represents... Um, he represents the kind of leadership evaluation that a lot of us do. So at this point, Samuel has um, his anointed Saul. He really likes Saul, right? Saul was some kind of protege to him. He was the one that called Saul out. Saul was a great tall leader, looking great, but Saul messed up one, in 1 Samuel 15. He messed up. He didn't do what God was meant, was meant to, uh, told him to do. And so God took away the kingdom. And Samuel was the person that told Saul that God has taken the kingdom away from you. And he never saw Saul again. So God says, now, you're going to have to go and anoint somebody. There's a leader I want you to go and find. And he's, he's a child. He's the son of a man called Jesse. 1 Samuel verse 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. A man called Jesse. And in 6 to 7, he saw the first son of Jesse. And here's what Samuel said. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely... The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. <laughs> he, has not even, he doesn't even know the guy. He has never met the guy. The guy comes here and says, ah, Eku. <laughs> this guy looks like, you know, he said leader. He looks like a president. Maybe the way the guy stood. Maybe the way, you know, he was well chiseled. He said that. She said, he said, surely I have seen him. The Lord's anointed. And then God rebuked him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, how God evaluates runs deeper. There are two ways you can evaluate a leader and the moral character of a leader. One is by impression, the other one is by assessment. One is by impressions, the other one is by assessment. So the first, Samuel evaluated based on impressions. And you know what impressions are? Impre impression comes from the word impressed, right? We are too easily impressed. We see something like, ah, surely this person. You know, you start to create an image of who, what you think the person is. Somebody sits in front of you during an interview. You know some of us here. May God help you. That's why your businesses are failing. I, I'm not cursing. I'm telling you, so I'm going to help you now. Two people come in front of you. The first one comes, they start speaking English. Fune, you know, Fune, you know, Fune. They, they put all the, uh, they went to University of, um, of, uh, of Liverpool. Let's just say Liverpool. Say, ah! Isn't that, isn't that, that, that football club that is in, in, is in their brother, Abby? And so they now start talking. And then this other guy comes in from, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a good canoe with these guys today. 
He calls me from the University of Illori. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, wait, now this is positive. I'm trying to repent for my sins. Now, the guy from Illori, you know, they said, sit down. He said, sit down where? On this chair? You know, yeah, chair, you have to. From the moment he said chair like this, his interview was just going down in your head. But this other person from the University of Liverpool says, oh, wait, can I have a seat, please? And like, ah! <laughs> All you start seeing is profit, profit, profit. Our clients, everything. Impressions. You are easily impressed. Impressed. <coughs> Whereas, he says, God looks at the heart. That is, you should not just be impressed. It's not just by impression. But by assessment, you see, the thing with impression, and these two things work on two criteria. You must, when you are trying to evaluate, you must think of time, and you must think of objective, objective criteria, right? So in terms of time, impressions takes too quick. It's too quick to be able to evaluate. It works on a short base of time. And also, in terms of the criteria, it is very subjective. It's quite often... It's likability. Do I like this person or not? That's why sometimes with our elected officials, honestly, when they start talking, we don't even listen. You are only asking. They say, really, presidential elections are based on one thing and one thing alone. Do I like this person? So we, are very, we look for impressions to assess. And we have voted in so many people that we like. When they entered, we found out we didn't really like them again. It was too late. So don't, um, don't um, evaluate by um, impressions. It says you should assess. In terms of time, assessment takes a longer time. God knows the heart. God doesn't need the longer time. But for you to know the heart of someone that you can't see, what's going to happen? You need a long space of time. You see, we know people well in, relation, uh, in relationship with them over time. It's the same thing some people start dating uh, after three days, four days, you know, of meeting each other, and then all of a sudden they get married within six months. And then they realize, after six months of marriage, this isn't the person that I thought they were. No, it's not, because you didn't get to know the person over a period of time. Initially, when we meet each other, everybody is on their best behavior. I don't care who you are. It is not just pretense. It is just manners. You can't just meet somebody for the first time and and uh, maybe you used to pick your nose. Are you going to start picking your nose in front of them? No. You wait to get married, and then you pick your nose. It's true. Depression. All right. That was for married in Lagos. All right. So you assess them over a period of time. And I say that because when it comes to leaders, listen, everybody likes to say it. Age ain't nothing but a number. is true. Right? And age isn't everything. It is true when it comes to leadership. It's not just by age, whether somebody is older or not. It is true. Age isn't everything. But age isn't nothing. Because quite often what happens is, before you appoint a leader, you say, oh, this person has gone through life. Because of the age that they are, they've been able to go through a number of life's experiences. So you don't, that's why I said that an elder must not be a novice. King James, sorry, I don't know what it is in NIV. But it mustn't be a novice. So time matters 
to be able to observe the person. The other thing that matters is this, that when we are having leadership assessments, we should aim for objectivity as much as possible. That is, likability is important. I'm not saying it's not important to like somebody that is going to lead. You should. But beyond that subjective measure, you do need some objective moral variables to be able to test. And we'll talk about them after. Because notice what he says. He says, test them. They must first be tested, verse 10. And then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as leaders. In the first two sermons, we are talking about positive attributes, what people have. Notice what he says about leadership assessment. He says, if there is nothing against them. It's not talking about the presence of positive characteristics or positive abilities that is important. But quite often, when he talks about morality here, he's talking about the absence, test for the absence of certain negative traits. If there is nothing against them, we test for, in, in Nigerian colloquialism, we test for comma. You know when you say comma? You say that person, ah, very nice, so, but she gets what? Comma. You, you know what that is, right? It's like, ah, that Ogi was really nice, but he has. Coco, Coco is the comma. You, you know what, okay, pap, pap. All right, you know what pap is? Eh? Uh -huh. The original name is Ogi. They now made it pap or Akam or whatever, Ogi. Well, if he has Coco, you know that's a problem. Yes, yeah, okay, you eat custard now. See them, see the way they are looking at me, it's a lie. You eat Ogi, I know you. Anakara, not bad, not bad. <laughs> So somebody can have, you can say, oh, there's something good about the person, but there is a little something here. The literal Greek for that word there is they must be blameless. Blameless. Blame. Less. Less of blame. We are testing for the absence of blame in their lives. Most often, you never hear of a leader who a, a leader who was fired, a, a leader who fell because of their lack of abilities. No, if you are not very good at your job, people fire you. All right, but it, when we use the word fall, it is usually because this person was going so well, this person was doing so many things, their abilities were um, was at a high level, but something there was probably a moral scandal that happened in their lives. So many people have fallen because of their massively flawed characters. Despite the presence, there was a presence of tremendous abilities and achievements. I, um, I don't know if you know the, the U.S. presidential elections will soon, will soon come, even though it takes two years. I mean, they're already debating. It's, it's, it's a circus, really. Two, every two years out of four years in our lives, we have to be looking at debates and everything. But notice one thing, whenever a candidate emerges, is elected, is um, um, nominated by their party, the next thing we look for is, and even here, who is the vice president going to be? The running, the running mate, isn't it? And then you start hearing certain names, certain names being touted. And then you hear something. Why is it that you've not appointed that person? You know why? They do something called vetting. And when they are vetting, you know what they are doing? 
They're not saying, ah, what did you achieve in this? Uh, the reason why you got, you came for the interview was you were a governor and you are successful. Yeah, the president is a Christian, you are a Muslim. Uh, the president is from the north, you are from the south-south. So the presence of your abilities and your qualities is what gets you a seat at the table. Do you know what vetting is? Do you have any other child apart from the one from your wife? Uh, did you, as you were, when you were a soldier in the army, did you kill anybody um, uh, that was not legal? Have you ever committed any bank fraud? That's what vetting is about. Do you know why? Because when you are now elected and you come into office, your enemies are against you. They are coming for you. And all they are looking for is what did this person do when he was eight? There was one governor in Virginia like this. I can't remember. Just recently, last year, right? He wore this. Um, he painted his... Um, He's a black face. He painted his uh, face when he was in, in the university. In the university, how many years after? Now, we're talking decades after. It was back there. Enemies were against him. That's what vetting is for. So what Paul is saying is for leaders, you should test to see if there's anything against them. Why? Because it is the presence of the negative things that brings a, more, a, a leader down. Listen, untested leaders are accidents waiting to happen. And so we must be diligent in trying to assess people before we appoint them. Paul is saying as deacons, but I want to say before we appoint them as leaders in general, because the first category was the elders. And so it's a leadership principle for appointment of leaders, for testing of leaders, that you need to assess them properly. Test them over time with objective measures before you appoint them. That's the first point. Let's go to the second one, the dignified moral leaders. The dignified moral leader. Now, testing is done for results. That's why we do tests, right? So if you do an exam or a test, what are you waiting for? The results. Um, uh, um, um, formal education, you are hoping, results in some acquired technical skill, right? Or let's even talk about the test of life. How many of us have been able to, okay, no, this might be an incentive question, but some of us have been able to, have gone through seasons where we didn't have a lot of money, where we had very little money, isn't it? Right, where you had to, only me, I'm not asking you. Where we, are, no, I did ask you, you, no, you've never. All right, we've gone through seasons where we had to live with a lot of money. That was a testing season for us. What did that produce, right, if you were wise? It produced or it resulted in someone who then knows how to manage money properly. Am I right? So tests are meant to lead to certain results. Even Peter and Job speak about it. Job says, when, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job 23.10. Or Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, all kinds of testing, these have come so that the proven, the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Result, a testing is for results. And so here, when Paul is talking about the moral test of a leader, he is looking for a result. What result are you looking for? Is this person of a dignified character? a dignified character, or 
as it says in verse, uh, the way the NIV translated, is this person worthy of respect? Verse 8. Is this person worthy of respect? Verse 11. Do they deserve your respect? Because, you know, there's a difference between deserving respect and commanding or forcing respect. The truth is that you can't really command or force respect. Somebody can pretend that they respect you. It doesn't mean. Servitude is forced. Respect is earned. You know whether someone is worthy of respect or not. You know, the thing about respect, uh, some of dignity, or somebody being worthy of respect, it's just like, it's just like whether knowing somebody is handsome or beautiful. Somebody is, is somebody handsome or beautiful? Is a, is a man handsome? Is a woman beautiful? You know, when somebody is beautiful, when someone is handsome, we all know it. Listen, beauty is not always in the eye of the beholder. It's true. For some people, some people to them are beautiful or handsome, but not for everyone. But there are some people that say, ah, this one is very handsome. For example, um, in Itunu's eyes, in Itunu's eyes, Femi Akwari is handsome. Do you understand? In her eyes, and that's good because beauty and handsomeness is in the eye of what? The beholder. The beholder. So no problem with that, Itunu, right? It's fine. It, now, that doesn't mean that all of us must think that, right? That's, that's pushing it too much, right? So that's subjective. However, when you look at the person that is talking to you now, <laughs> It's, it's not a matter of whether you, you know, you can't, you, you, you just see her, you know, this person is handsome. So that's the thing about respect. Note that the stomach is being tucked in. <laughs> respect is like that. If somebody, if someone is worthy of respect, that is, they are worthy of it. Not just that they have respect, that they, they command respect, but they are worthy. They deserve the respect. It's so funny, funny enough, that the Bible talks about our moral lives often in aesthetic terms, beauty or ugliness. I actually don't believe you should ever call somebody physical beauty, uh, physically ugly. I don't think it's right. I don't think the Bible will actually allow that because everyone is created in the, in the image of God. So if you've been doing that, I'll actually say, strong rebuke, never call someone ugly. But there is a place where the Bible allows for the use of the word ugliness, I would say. Because in describing people's moral characters, he uses aesthetic terms. As I said, for instance, look at 1 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. This isn't saying you can't wear fine clothes jewelry or whatever. It's just saying that's not how you should measure a beauty. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Notice, the inner self is described in aesthetic terms. Somebody who has a wonderful moral character, the Bible is saying that person is beautiful. And so when you look at these qualifications, you know what Paul is saying? Don't appoint ugly people as leaders. Don't. Now, how we know they're ugly? Because remember, we said we're not talking about their physical appearance. We're talking about their inner appearance. Well, Paul gives us four ways to describe. He uses four things to describe. Um, um, uh, four, character, uh, four categories to describe how you can assess how they look 
or whether they are worthy of respect. He talks about their tongue, he talks about liberty, he talks about money, and he talks about sex. How they use their tongue, how they use their liberty, how they use their money, and how they use their sex. So let's talk about the tongue. In verse 3, it says they should be sincere. Well, the better translation is they should, uh, in fact, it's even going to say not, not. So they should be sincere. Really, the better translation is not double-tongued or not duplicitous. They should not be duplicitous. And in verse 11, it says they should, be, they should not be malicious talkers or not be slanderers. Let's talk about duplicity, right? It says they shouldn't be double-tongued. I like the double-tongued because it's saying that they speak with, uh, they say a certain thing in one way, and then in another place, they say the opposite thing, double-tongued. Their tongue is, is, is going in two directions. And that's, uh, that is, it also says duplicity, that is duplicity, two things. And it's saying a leader should not be like that. You should not be one thing in private, saying one thing in private, and saying another thing in public. I'm not saying that everything that you said, in, you said in private should be said in public. That's a different thing. That's lack of wisdom. But you should not be saying one thing in private and saying the opposite thing in public. In other words, your life is not integrated. Your public and your private life is not integrated. What you say is not integrated. You lack integrity. That's what Proverbs 11.3 says. The integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by what? Their duplicity. Proverbs 11 verse 3. And it's the same thing. They says that for the women, they should not be slanderous. Do you know the word that is used for slanderer there? It's the word used for the devil. That is, you should not be known for lying, but rather you should be one that is truthful, one that is always truthful. Too many leaders are given into spin, exaggeration, lying. You know what I mean by spin? Something is something. It is black. But there's a way you say the black. There's a way you describe it. You don't necessarily still say it's not black. You just describe it in so many ways that somebody will think it's blue, that you're saying it's blue. That's spin. You over-enhance, you over-exaggerate. And rage, by the way, is also, if you are the kind of person who is just, you just fume with your tongue, it's ugly as well. And he's saying leaders should not be, remember, testing for the absence of negatives. Leaders should not be duplicitous with their tongue. They should not be slanderous with their tongue. Let me rush. Liberty. How do they use their liberty? You know what I mean by liberty? Things that you are allowed to do, but you should not be excessive with. Things you are allowed to do. So here, it says they should not indulge in much wine. They should not indulge in much wine. You know, you may have grown up in a place where maybe in a Baptist church or whatever, and they say, ah, you cannot drink alcohol. Or maybe a Pentecostal church. Christians cannot drink alcohol. Can I be? The Bible does not say that. It just doesn't. It doesn't say it, right? That Christians cannot drink alcohol. The Bible always talks about Christians should not be drunk, all right? Now, because of that legalistic upbringing, some of us now, all of a sudden, have now discovered, eh, the Bible gives me liberty on alcohol. And because you want to prove to your aunt, you want to prove to your mom, you want to prove to Sister Bosse 
you know all of those people, you'll now be drinking, putting everything on Facebook, showing the next, uh, the next bottle of gin that you bought. Everything, the way you finished it, why? And uh, you will now start typing. Nobody has said anything, no. Let no legalistic person should come and tell me nonsense here. They weren't looking for you. Now, you are the one that put it there. They're not asking you. You have somebody at the back of your mind. So you want to indulge in liberties. You want to be excessive. Now, listen, as I said, even though the Bible gives liberties on some things, it never allows for indulgence. And here's another test of whether or not you, you are free with your liberties. Because you can be in bondage with your liberty. If you are free with your liberty, do you have the ability to put it down and say, I wouldn't do it? That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. Again, I'm not saying if you want to have your drink, have your drink. It's not bad. But I'm saying, can that drink be taken away from you if need be? If you can't, then you say that you don't have. And so, so many people are indulgent. Social media, use of social media, smartphones, all of those things, they are good. They are fine. Be on Facebook. Be on Instagram. Be on Twitter. But my gosh, don't overindulge in it. Don't be on social media whilst being in church. Don't be on social media while having a serious conversation with your spouse. Don't be overindulgent if you are going to be a leader. Video games. Leisure for some people. You want to be able to play five days a week and work two times a week. That's overindulgent. Leaders require discipline. And that's what he's saying here when he says be temperate. Being temperate means being level-headed. I like the descriptions of this word. That's why right when they're hyphenated. Level-headed. That is... It should be level at the head, at the top, not overflowing the top. You can get to the top, but don't overflow the top. Leaders should be level-headed. Amen? Amen? Third one, he talks about money. Ego, time now money, have He says this, not pursuing dishonest gain. Can I tell you something? Dishonest gain. You say, ah, I don't pursue dishonest gain. You will pursue dishonest gain if you generally pursue gain too much. Let me put it this way. Paul says this in, 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 six, in, 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 in chapter 6, verse 10. You all know this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We are not honest about our love for money. Don't quote 610 to me and say he's talking about the love of money. Not the, yes, we all know that. But we sometimes will say he's talking about the love of money. So it's not the love of money. I have money. I, my money, I control my money. My money doesn't control me. Many of us say that, and yet the money is controlling us as we're saying it. In fact, the, the sure way to know that the money has controlled you is that you are quoting about how the money is not controlling you and yet it's controlling you. Like he, the devil is sitting right in your sitting room and you're saying it's not there. We're not. We talk about money all the time. We make bad relationship decisions because of money. We make bad vocational decisions because of money. Bad religious decisions because of money. We sing about money. Look at all our music videos. It's money, women, I'll get to sex, don't worry. Right? And many people, your relationship with God is solely about money. Don't say, no, I worship him when I start praying. You, your prayer life starts like this. Oh, Lord, I worship you. I praise you because you are good. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. So you do that for like one, two minutes. And then for the next 10 minutes, you are talking about God. I shall be this and not this. You said this, this. I did it. So that first one minute is because you listened to a sermon where they told you that if you want to usher the blessings of God in, that you need to praise him. That's why you did it. 
Let's be honest about it. And this thing has ruined many leaders. Many. Great, wonderful, gifted, had wonderful hearts, and yet somehow, because of something under the table, then it was dishonest. They were first pursuing money as a god, through legitimate means, but as a god. And once you do that, eventually, you will pursue dishonest gain. You always pursue gain as a god before you start to pursue dishonest gain. Amen? Trustworthy leaders, because he said they should be trustworthy in everything. Trustworthy leaders, on the other hand, they may have money, they may make money, but they don't love money. One of the ways we know is how generous they are with the money. You remember I quoted Phoebe, I quoted Susanna, I quoted Olympias. All people with money, I'm sure they were very good at it. So don't, make, don't mistake what I'm saying. No. I am not saying that you shouldn't be able to make money. Ah, please, make it. But there's a difference between making it and loving it. I'm making it and loving God. Amen? Amen. Finally, sex. It says in verse 12 that they must, he must be faithful to his wife. I'll just put faithful to their spouse. Too many bank... You know the funny thing about our society? We celebrate wonderful leaders, and it's good. Competent leaders, all of those things. But one of the things I know in interaction with people and friends of people that know that, too many bank leaders, industry CEOs and captains, celebrated tech gurus of today, do you know what they're doing? Everybody's sleeping around. Sleeping around. When I ask people about their work culture, some of you I sit down, talk about blah, blah, blah. I say, yeah, yeah, but the only thing with this person, they just they like to sleep around. There are some ladies I've spoken to here, they tell me about how some of their work colleagues have made passes at them. Like, and they still talk, oh, well, okay, yeah, so okay, you are one of those Christians. Abby. But see, most people are just sleeping around. This is a problem. A leader says is faithful to their spouse. You know why? One of the things I should say, not the only thing, but one of the things I should say is this. In leadership, loyalty and fidelity are necessary. I'm talking about... Be loyal to your organization. Loyal to your organization doesn't mean you must always stay in the same organization. That's not it. I'm saying while you are there, you are loyal to them. Fidelity is important. So let me ask you, how can you trust someone in any relational capacity, especially at work? How can you trust them in any relational capacity when they are unfaithful in the most sacred relationship? Here's what I'll tell you. When people assess certain leaders and they say, oh, this person is moral, can you say, we can allow this person to go up to here? But if this person tells me something, I would accept. When you say, ah, how could you do that to me? How could you betray me, your only friend? You were supporting him when he was betraying his wife. What did he expect? He should be able to betray you. If he betrays his wife, he can betray you. So don't be too surprised. A good leader is faithful to their spouse. Listen, guys, when these things are absent, right, a blameless, a blameless um, a, a leader who is blameless in character is a beautiful sight to behold. God is asking for godly, mature, and beautiful characters. He's not asking for perfect ones. But to be a leader with all your competence, with all your achievements, with all the fact that you're trying to serve the people, how beautiful are you inside? Because eventually, what's on the inside will show on the outside. And that's what makes you worthy of respect or not. And you know why these people aren't pretending? 
why you can say they're not pretending, is because their conviction about this is at the level of conscience. It's at the level of conscience. Notice what it says in verse 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. What it says, what it means, what the deep truths thing is the mystery, the mystery of the faith. And we know Paul uses mystery of the faith to refer to the gospel. So the reason why they are motivated in such a way is it's not about just their outward appearance and what roles they can get. So let me look like I love the poor so that I can get that. No, that's a pragmatic motivation for, being, for having a good character. For them, it is at the inner level. It's at the level of conscience. When you look at someone and you say, you know what, that person is a person of conscience. You know why? It's because they hold to the gospel with a clear conscience. Say, so, ah, this person leads with a conscience. Yes, because uh, the, the gospel, what Jesus has done for them in dying and rising again for them, has deeply affected their conscience that they're saying, I will not betray the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what shows up on the outside. Amen? A leader, the godly leader's dignity is rooted in their theology. Finally, where did time go? The rewarded moral leader. The rewarded moral leader. Now, the Bible says this, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In other words, the Bible is quite clear. And this is not prosperity theology, but listen. Part of the reason why you should, you should follow God, you know why? He's going to reward you. Ultimately, we can put our whole, the whole question of faith in two things. Those who don't follow God will not be rewarded. Those who follow God will be rewarded. Test me. Come, it says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, how God rewards itself is a bit complex. And ultimately, the ultimate reward, especially that place I just quoted in Hebrews 11 verse 6, is talking about his eternal reward. But it's laying down a principle that it is not wrong to reward those who have done well. It can be abused. And so if you're only working for rewards, it will eventually show you are just pretending. But it is not totally wrong to say that I am doing this thing also for the basis of reward. And Paul knows that. And so when you get to verse 13, Paul wants to motivate the tested and dignified leader to serve well. And I want to address Femi and Kemi in that, that regard. I want you guys to listen because this uh, is part of the reason why you are called to serve. There is a reward for serving as a deacon, but to serve well. Those who have served well. And there are two things that he says they should expect. Two of them. One, excellent standing. Two, great assurance. One, excellent standing. Now, what does this mean? It's a bit difficult to translate, but it essentially would mean excellent standing within the church. That is, they will be held in high esteem among the people over, which, over whom they are serving, or the people they are serving. Some will say, should they work for that? Shouldn't that just come naturally from the heart? And the answer to both of them is yes. You don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul. They will be serving from their heart, but it's nice also to be held in high esteem. Who doesn't like to be held in high esteem? Who likes not being held in high esteem? Being held in low esteem. Who likes being held in contempt? Raise up your hand, because you have problems. And we'll pray for you. Of course not. So there's nothing wrong in being motivated to, uh, to being held in high esteem. There's something wrong in making that the chief and the center of your motivation. 
That's why in verse 1, it says, those who aspire to the office of an elder have done, they've, 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 um, um, they've looked for a good thing. Now, Paul, somebody would say another thing here. They said, well, shouldn't they, but didn't they already have a high esteem? Wouldn't we already hold them in high esteem before giving them this position? There's a difference between earning a position and confirming the fact that you deserve it. You see, Kemi and Femi have earned this position, haven't been tested over a period of time. They've earned it. However, whilst being appointed to the position, it says then, if they serve well, then they will be confirming the fact that they deserved it. Do you understand? Sometimes you promote someone in your organization, the reason why you promoted them is based on their past work. But then when you put them in the position, they still have to dis or confirm the, uh, the, the rightness of the selection for that position. Do we understand that? And so when he says that they would gain an excellent standing, it is saying they were appointed based on the past, but now gaining an even more excellent standing is going to be based on how they serve now in the present and future. Amen? And so when you think about that as well, for some of us that have now been given good, uh, serious leadership positions in our organizations, in our schools, or what have you, Thank God for the next promotion. But promotion itself is not an end. Now that you've been given the particular role, remember our second sermon is now for you to serve. So serve well. The moral leader is also a servant leader. Second, great assurance. If you serve well, you would have great assurance. Serving well in your leadership puts you in a position to see results changes and transformation within people's lives. When I say results, remember in Dickens, with the first Dickens that were appointed in Acts 6 or 7, he said because they were appointed, the word of God spread and there were a great many disciples that were added. Results, if you serve well. And that in itself is, how many of you have advised someone and because of the advice you gave them, they were going in this direction, they went in this, the right direction and you could see the transformation in their lives. Have you been there? Have you been there? No, raise up your hand. Didn't you have any, didn't you, wasn't there a joy? The person didn't give you anything back. But the joy of seeing something happen in that person's life. How many of us have taught people, taught children, see them finally being able to understand a particular concept? When they express it, don't you feel joy there? And so when you serve well, you see results happening in people's lives. Now I'm going to make a break from the world, and the church. The person in the world is going to give themselves an applause, pat themselves on the back for doing this. For a deacon and for any other Christian leader, you know what your joy should be about? That God used you as a vessel to continue to work in transforming people's lives. It is God that was at work through you. So you have a front row seat of seeing all that God can accomplish in people's lives. Amen? And so with the deacons... It's saying this, because they can see through their service well, because, because of their well, um, uh, very good service, because they can see God working in people's lives, their confidence in God is strengthened. And as a result of the strength in their confidence, their relationship with God is enhanced and deepened. 
Listen, sometimes the proof of God is not going to be with an argument. I believe in apologetics, let's argue their theories and all of that. Sometimes the proof that there is a God that exists is seeing him work tremendously in people's lives and many times through you. And so when you are generous, when you attend that meeting, when you give that advice, when you serve, and you see somebody who was lazy before all of a sudden transformed, you say, God is here. And as a result of that, maybe you had a terrible week. Maybe you had, you, in your own personal life, you're not really seeing God move. But because of what God did in somebody else's life, your faith is, is strengthened. And as a result of that, you have great assurance about your God and about your Christ. It deepens your Christian conviction, provides another channel for renewing, strengthening, and enhancing. Let me close here, though. I want us to be very careful as we think about a leadership. We've spoken about responsible leaders, we've spoken about the servant leader. Today we're speaking about the moral leader. There's a there's a danger. It's been talking about the moral leader. There's a danger that we make our morality as leaders the main marker of our identity. There's a danger in that. That, okay, I want to be, I, want, I don't want people to know me. I don't want, you know, you start being too careful. This should be entire my life. This should be entire my life. I need to show myself as somebody who is godly and all of those things. And so that becomes the marker of your identity. It becomes the measure through which you, you can say that's why God will appoint me as a leader. I've been tested. I'm dignified. Because of my testing, I'm passing my testing. And now I deserve a reward. Now, actually, the mark of identity should lie in another leader. It's so funny. Jesus was tested. Remember, we're testing for the absence of something. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says that he had no sin. He was tested, yet without what? Sin. Pilate in uh, John 19, verse 4, says, I find no basis for a charge, this man. And yet, he was rejected, ultimately, and not treated in a dignified way. In fact, he was humiliated, treated in the most undignified way on the cross. Why? Because that was no reward, was it? Why was he treated that way? What was his reward? Well, his reward was told to us in Isaiah 53. He did have a reward. He will see the fruit of his suffering and he will be what? Satisfied. What was the fruit of his suffering? That all the leaders who had failed in their morality can seek forgiveness from him, they could obtain grace, and then they could be sent out to be better moral leaders. As leaders, our identity is first and foremost in the leader that is Jesus Christ. You see, we fail in our morality here and there. But whenever we fail, we can just lean upon him in the cross. Yeah, we're going to ordain them later, and there will be charges to them, but it's to you. As I look here, I can see many people who serve as leaders in organizations, in your families, with your children. And I really do believe that in our church, we need leaders in various places. But honestly, this country, this city needs leaders. 
This country needs leaders in the organizations, in the elected officials. We need leaders who are responsible with their abilities. We need leaders who serve the people that want to glorify God. And we need leaders who have a dignified moral character. That is the kind of leader God wants you to be. Following Jesus. Following Jesus. The leader who gave his life so that you can be a better leader. Let us pray. Examine yourself. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to examine you. Maybe you have found too much faith in your competence as a leader. Maybe you were a rising star. You got into leadership positions very quickly because of your abilities. And maybe you pride yourself in the fact that you have served people. You have enabled your organizations to make huge profits. You've enabled your church to grow. You've enabled your children to become better. You've enabled your siblings to live a better life. And so, with your competence and with your service, you are pleased. But what about your morality? What about your character? As you examine yourself, remember as Christians, we don't examine ourselves to be condemned. We examine ourselves to be able to repent because there is a cross. And not just that there is a cross, this person who died on the cross is a high priest who can be felt with the feeling of our infirmities so that we can go to him to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. Unlike people who have fallen from their places of leadership because of their bad moral characters and people then forget them, Jesus never forgets you. Jesus is there to say, quit staying down, feeling condemned. Come, I still want to use you. But come to Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness. And see whether he will not empower you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos